You're listening to The No Name Photo Show, the podcast dedicated to lively conversations about the creativity, business, and technology of photography. I'm your host, Brian Matiash. Let's chat. All right, everyone, welcome to episode 47 of The No Name Photo Show. I'm your host, Brian Matiash, and uh, I'm very excited for... The, I say I'm always excited for every episode, and I think <laughs> every good host should be excited. Otherwise, it'd be a big problem. You might want to look into things, but... I am particularly excited about this episode, um, partly because of the topic, but more because of the guest. I've been kind of hounding this uh, this fella to to come on for a bit, uh, and uh, I've been a, a a longtime fan, not just of his photography, which if you see or when you see, you'll understand is is fantastic. But um, his the 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 kind of personality, the authentic personality that he brings uh, to his brand, as slimy as that word is, his YouTube videos. Uh, are always fantastic. He's just kind of like the kind of guy you you just want to be friends with. Uh, so with that, I'd like to welcome Nick Page to the show. Nick, uh, say hi and tell people a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me on. That's probably the coolest epi- coolest intro I've ever had. Um, yeah, so I'm the host of the Landscape Photography Podcast. A lot of people actually know me from YouTube. I do you know kind of behind the scenes vlogs and all that stuff. I'm a photographer. I like to take pictures of pretty things like most of us probably listening to this show, but um, I'm lucky enough to be one of the lucky ones that actually gets paid to do it full time. And that's that's a pretty cool gig these days. It beats a real job. That's for sure. And I've had those. <laughs> well, yeah, same here. You, you, I'd rather spend 100 hours building something for myself than 40 hours building something for someone else. Mm-hmm. And, so, and yeah. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> what? Um, how long have you been kind of in, in, in the life? So I've been living, uh, living the thug life about, what is it, six years? So backstory. Uh, I got my first camera six years ago, and I became a full-time photographer five years ago. So there was only a one-year difference between getting my first DSLR and you know watching my first tutorials and becoming a full-time photographer and and it's it's kind of a testament to just how obsessive i can be about stuff because i'm not the type of person to just casually do something i'm the type of person that like i can't think about anything else when i'm into something and i didn't watch tv for like three years straight because my idea of a good time was watching tutorials and and nerding out and learning as much as i could so i was that guy I think uh, I definitely can relate, and I, I'm pretty sure a lot of the audience can relate as well. YouTube is our friend in that respect. Uh, so, so Nick, with regards to being a professional photographer, um, what are your kind of, I guess, revenue streams? How do you make money? You said you get paid to do this. So mm-hmm. do, is it licensing photos? Is it something else? It's it's like ever changing. So. Um when when I first started photography, I was just like everybody where I was the generalist. I was, you know, I was photographing babies and seniors and real estate and families and weddings and whoop. And I even, you know, I've, I've shot a wedding this year. Like I'm just now transitioning out of that kind of general photography thing. Um, and the reason I've started that transition is because more and more my money is coming from 
teaching workshops and teaching tutorials and online education because, you know, it's kind of, I like to think the natural organic evolution of things is, you know, as you get better at something, people want to know what you know. And I've always kind of had that teaching bug where I love to share the the things that I've learned and the things that I know. And, you know, I, I used to be a musician and I was always the guy te- giving drum lessons. And, you know, I was always that guy. And so it's kind of been a natural evolution for me because, um, you know, I, I love sharing that stuff. So now, nowadays, most of my revenue comes from uh, workshops and tutorials and, and as, as cool as, that, I mean, that's pretty much the best gig ever, right? Is because if you think about it, I get paid to travel around, nerd out about photography and record videos and teach people what I know. And, um, for me, it's totally, it, well, I wouldn't say it's effortless, but it's, it's, uh, it's natural for me because I, that's just what I love. But, uh, the whole teaching workshops thing is a very, it's a very interesting animal because there's a lot of aspects to it that that really get glorified you know everybody wants to get paid to travel but there's a lot of a lot of stuff that uh that people don't talk about and i guess that's probably what we're going to talk about today a little bit oh yeah that's that is a a wonderful very slick segue into the topic (laughs) of the show Um, it's almost like i podcast or something i I know (laughs) that, that cadence was beautiful um, which I appreciate you made my job a little easier. And uh, of course, uh, we'll have links to Nick's website as well as his podcast, which I am a subscriber uh, of uh, in the, at the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. Uh, that is, as Nick said, the, the topic here, specifically photography workshops. And I am really happy as far as the timing goes with this because episode 46 was with uh, my buddy James Brandon. And there we were talking about the complete opposite. We were talking about leaving the life of professional mm-hmm. photography for a number of reasons, you know, whether it's just kind of uh, either an, a better opportunity comes along and where it offers more consistency uh, for, for family, or uh, it's just becoming jaded with that life because this life does require a certain amount of, uh, you know, self-promotion and marketing, a little bit of a healthy ego. Um, but with, I feel like that would make a great t-shirt is that workshop life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because it is, it is a lifestyle. Like there are people that do it even more than I, uh, you know, the Daniel Cordans of the world that are just constantly on the road. And it is, it, that is tough. You know, this, this year I've probably led 11 or 12, well, somewhere between 12 and 10 workshops, so almost which is quite a, a lot. Yeah. And each one of those is at least a week. So, you know. But just, and, not just the workshop, though, Nick. It's also the the the, the logistics, the planning, yes. the marketing, getting the people, making sure everything's there, then flying out there and puking twenty times on the flight. Right, Nick? <laughs> oh, yes, that was uh, it. Was probably the most glorious uh, flight of my life. You've never you've never fully experienced the joys of being a workshop leader until you have to be in Iceland. And then you develop a really bad stomach flu in Seattle. And then you're like, okay, do I've got like a one day buffer. Do I wait it out and fly tomorrow or do I just go for it? And so I went, I went for it. I, and I knew I was in trouble because I threw up in the airport and, and it's, it was probably the lowest moment of my life being down on all fours on a filthy airport bathroom. And then, um, yes. And then. On the airplane, I vomited 10 times. Some of those times I had to wait in line for 15 minutes to just wait my turn to vomit. 
I, uh, yeah, I remember teaching workshops is great stories, the, the Instagram stories. That's where I, I picked up on that. I was like, Oh no. Cause yeah, I mean, when you're on a plane, you're in this metal tube and you are at the mercy of your pilots. There is, there's no margin. It's not like a bus where you can plead with the bus driver. Just stop. Pull over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> turns, it turns out you can't just crack a window in an airplane. No, that would be um, no bueno. It was the longest flight of my life. It was it was pretty miserable. And it was at that moment that I realized that teaching workshops can be challenging because I had to be there. Like, I, I'm not going to just refund everybody's money because that would put me in the poorhouse. So it was tough. So, I mean, that's kind of the what I want to talk about is what's involved, what makes a good photography workshop? Because, it you know, it is so much for, for the mm-hmm. participant. There's, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. You find a photographer that ideally that you like, and you find out that they uh, are doing a workshop. You pay the deposit, you pay the full amount, you get your travel situated, and you go. Uh, for the workshop leader, or if they have a leader and say a, a, a supporting, um, you know, instructor, which is often the case, um, there is a, a mountain of work to do. So, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Like workshops, when done right. And in kind of tandem, I would say with uh, at least another one or two other revenue streams. You said um, you know you've got uh, your your online courses that you offer at your store. We were both um, participants in this year's five day deal, so mm-hmm. you know we the, it can be a really great um, revenue stream. But it is it can be very challenging and challenging. There are multiple facets, so. What I'd like to ask is, you know, I, I have my thoughts on the whole photography workshop game. Um, you know, you can talk about things like going to places where, you know, photographers who have workshops that um, where they don't get the necessary permits and they try to to get a, a buy with that. You have um, workshops where the photographer does the workshop but has never actually scout, like been to the location, which to me boggles mm-hmm. my mind. That, that would terrify me. And then, of course, you've got challenges, um, logistical challenges. You have challenges of the par- managing participants who are coming. Traveling is a very stressful thing, right? And, you know, you have these people coming together who can have wildly different personalities, different backgrounds. Um, so so what would you say, Nick? Like, let's start with with. Let's start with the negative and then move to positive because I think that that'll let's, want, yeah. So that way we can end on a high note exactly. rather than. <laughs> I don't want to scare yeah. people away. From workshop, but like, what what would you say then for you in your experience? Because you do a lot of these workshops and mm-hmm. they're primarily landscape based workshops, which is in, entirely dependent on the weather. Your Iceland workshop that you just uh, completed was um, I saw the the Instagram stories. You were in a, an actual blizzards. Yeah. Um, so how how do you um, you know what are the the situations where you know you you do what you do whatever you can to um, mitigate or, or avoid problems? Yeah, I and man, the the gamut of of the kinds of problems that you can have is just never ending. You know, I've I've had workshops where the participants themselves just refuse to get along. You know, because you sure. get that many different personalities, and something's going to go wrong eventually. Uh, you know, I've <laughs> I've had what some interesting in workshops. Like, I, I'm because I had a situation. I have a story too, in it, but I want to hear like in those situations where you've got say. Oil and water. You've got two people who are just not oh, yeah. gelling. How do you deal with it? Well, you, you know, as a workshop leader, you almost have to be like part counselor. 
you know, part psychologist, part meteorologist, part like, you know, travel agent part. And then you ha also have to be a good photography instructor, which, you know, is its own thing. But like sure. in that situation, I, I this particular workshop, I had a couple from New York and they had found me in an SEO search, which is always you know, th those people never treat you quite as well as the people that just love your photography and they want to learn from you. These people showed up and they're like, I don't know who you are, but you better teach me something, boy. Oh, yeah, wow. they, yeah. I could tell that they were going to be a problem just from the emails beforehand. And then I had to mix them with this other gentleman that was from Seattle. And he was an older guy. Tell he was very much from Seattle. And he shows up <laughs> the first morning of the workshop and I, it makes me laugh just thinking about it. And he's wearing a photography vest. He's, oh, you know, 70-year-old <laughs> man wearing a photography vest and nothing underneath. He's wearing no shirt under his photography vest. No. His photography vest is unbuttoned and he's just got his like hairy belly hanging out. Are you <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be interesting because he was in the same car as my angry New York couple. And after that day, I don't know what happened in the car. You know, we're all kind of carpooling and they came up to me and they said, tomorrow we will be riding by ourselves. Wow. <laughs> and, and so it was it was a long workshop because I had to, you know, play Mr. Nick, the counselor and try to get everybody to get along. But, you know, you can only do so much. There's yeah. been other times where we've had like, you know, sideways rain for two days straight. And and as a workshop leader, you have there's a lot of pressure on you to make the best decision possible given the weather conditions. And, you know, that's part of what people are coming to learn from you is, you know, a, a good photographer they can come away with good photos even on a less than stellar light day. And so, uh, you know, it's actually a learning opportunity anytime you get those really bad weather conditions because then I would be like, okay, so this, our original plan, no longer going to work. So we're going to do this. And here's why. And I taught, and I, you know, I take a moment to teach all the different weather stuff, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so on those kind of sideways rain days, a lot of times, you know, I take people into, into forest scenes and we're trying to photograph like little intimate forest scenes where the light doesn't matter as much. And then we do a lot of post-processing, but uh, there are just some times when uh, the weather and the participants can really like throw you some serious curveballs. Yeah. And, and listeners out there, like I highly recommend if you're not following Nick on Instagram, Nick, is it Nick page photography? Is that your handle? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so the reason why, aside from just viewing his stellar photos the, we were talking about this before we started recording. One of the things I really like um, about how Nick conducts himself in his workshop business is he's very giving, very transparent uh, in sharing these things through his stories. So often, mm -hmm. like like I said, Nick was just in Iceland. That's how I knew about his unfortunate flight. And um, <laughs> before that, he was out. I remember him seeing uh, you were in the forested area and it's like, man, the light's not that good. Or you're on the coast as well um, mm -hmm. on the Oregon coast. And the conditions aren't good, but you know you're you're putting it out there. And so, I, if you're on Instagram, definitely follow him because the stories alone, I think, are are, are what may, what I love about your your uh, what you do on that platform. And um, as far as like, I have I remember one story in particular for me, and, and you know it's challenging because, like you said, you want your man, you want your attendees. They're paying you good money. They also took time mm -hmm. off and you know traveled. You want them to have a good experience, but there are you know, there's also kind of a, a standard because however you want to, you want to play it, 
at some point, you know, all of this stuff reflects on you, how, how they mm-hmm. you know, conduct themselves reflect on you. If someone finds out like, Oh, that's a, you know, Brian Matias workshop. Um, and one of the attendees, you know, it just, I, I don't want to take that chance. And I remember one time again, uh, James Brandon, the guest from la- the last episode, him and I, we led a workshop in death Valley national park a couple of years ago. And we went, we took our, uh, our, the attendees to the artist palette, um, which is this, these, this beautiful multicolored, uh, rock formations. And we started from, there's, you kind of start from, from this elevated position and then you can hike down if you want. And I remember one of one of my attendees, she sets up her tripod and another person who had nothing to do with our group, just it's public lands. I mean, it's a national park. Everyone's entitled as long as you, you know, you paid your permit or you have your pass, um, to walk through it. And so, um, my this the attendee's standing there and she's setting up her tripod, getting the camera, and then a person walks by and is kind of being leisurely. And all of a sudden, my attendee starts screaming at the top of her lungs, "Hey, move!" And I, I was like, "Whoa!" I'm like, "Hold up!" I'm like, "You can't do that!" I'm like, "That's that that person has every right." I'm like, "Yeah, if the person's standing there for 15 minutes, like I'll go over there, but you, you can't. Please don't scream." And she did it again. And so I pulled her aside and I said, "Listen." If, if this is the way we're going to conduct ourselves, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to leave because um, you can't do that. You're, you're making everyone look bad. You're making it very awkward. Um, and I, I also, so I use this as a learning opportunity because like you said, there's yep. as a photographer or as the, the photography instructor, as the professional there, you know, you need to kind of be very, you have to pivot and, and kind of figure out ways to turn a negative into positive. And I said, listen, the, the everyone there already owned or licensed uh, Adobe uh, Lightroom and Photoshop. And I'm like, the, the content aware brush in Photoshop is so powerful. And think about it. This person <laughs> is like hundreds of yards away from here, from where we are to where they are. Unless you're using like a 400 millimeter lens, which they weren't, they were using wide angle lenses. That person is going to be a it's literally a dot. a dot. Exactly. <laughs> that person represents like three seconds of your day when you go to post-process this photo. Is it really worth getting? So the, in today's today's lesson class is all about patience yeah. and tolerance yeah, and being like, a good human. Yeah, being a good human. Exactly. And putting things <laughs> yeah. into perspective and context. Like think about exactly. it. Exactly. Unless like, yes, there are situations where someone's like camps right in front of you. If you know, Okay. But think about these things. And, and so, so, you know, these are the situations where um, I think uh, 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 that's where you kind of cut the, mm-hmm. what is it, the chaff? I don't know what the phrase is, but like that's where you, the cream rises as far as workshop um, instructors go. I've heard horror stories. I've heard um, James was telling me horror stories about um, workshop instructors who would do in, uh, workshops in national parks. The person, he posts his entire itinerary apparently on his website, like, day by day, hour by hour. And from what I understand, the Nas- the U.S., the Department of Interior and the National Park Services, they're getting smarter and they're searching for workshops and they cross-reference these workshops, the dates uh, and the, the person's name with whether permits have been issued. Mm-hmm. And so this person apparently didn't get a permit and he was at Death Valley and uh, a ranger caught him and he was ejected from the park. He was banned from the park. And that was day one. Again, this is the story that I was told, but it was day one. He saw, uh, James saw the instructor at, um, I think, Stovepipe Wells, or I can't, Furnace Creek. And uh, the guy was in the bathroom crying because he, he he didn't know what to do. And he was probably has multiple, like a class action lawsuit, which he's open to now. Oh, yeah. Um, so so let's, um you know, with that, what, 
Nick, would you say, in your opinion, makes for a good workshop? Yeah, well, first of all, proper permits. That's <laughs> that's an important one. But, you know, there's so much because, you know, the, the, like you were kind of talking about last week in your episode, everybody would love to figure out a way of of making ends meet while doing their passion, which, you know, for a lot of people is landscape photography. And there's there's only so many different ways of making money as a landscape photographer. And one of the biggest ways obviously is workshops. And the the problem with that is that you end up with a lot of people that are after trying to make those ends meet without any of the passion of actually wanting to teach. You know, it's ironic that you get so many people out there leading workshops and they're not really all that excited about the actual teaching aspect. And, you know, the, the biggest obstacle that the future of workshops in general, like the, the the business side of it, the biggest obstacle it faces is are, are all of these really poorly led workshops that are happening out there. Because, you know, you have lots of lots of people with these massive Instagram and YouTube followings where they have this marketing platform that is, you know, perfect for leading workshops and stuff. And and so they see the opportunity, they lead workshops and then they take it take people out and if some of those people that are on these workshops have really bad experiences, they are not likely to do another workshop in the future. So the, I think that vetting, uh, the vetting the instructor that you're thinking about going on a workshop with is crucial at this point in time because there are there are so many workshops out there and things that a person really needs to look into before they sign up for a workshop are things like, well, first of all, do I like this person's work? And more often than not, you know, you are going to like the person's work. That's why you're signing up in the first place. Second of all is, does this person have any examples of their teaching style online anywhere? You know, like, because, you know, so many instructors and people that are actually passionate about teaching, it's likely that they're going to have either a YouTube channel with examples of their teaching style or they're going to be on lynda.com or, you know, some kind of teaching platform where you can actually see them in action. Because the last thing you want is to go on this workshop with this amazing photographer that is a really poor teacher or really poor, you know, whatever, maybe they have really poor people skills and that you, and you just don't enjoy being around them. Uh, there's a lot that goes into a workshop more than just the quality of their photography. It's all also about the quality of their teaching style. And you need to make sure that their teaching style is actually, you know, meshes well with the way that you want to learn. You know, there are a lot of people that want to learn from somebody that's very serious and kind of dry and very, you know, um, collegiate in the way they you, you want to feel like you're talking to a professor of photography. And some people are like, you know, I kind of want to have a little fun too. So maybe I might go with this person that cracks a joke once in a while and actually has a personality. You know, there's so many different things you, and you need to, uh, you know, take a little bit of time to actually vet the person yeah. and make sure that, you know, you're going, going to have a good experience because you've already like looked into their teaching style, their personality type, and you know that kind of stuff. I'm so glad you brought up the 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 not just that the person is a good photographer, but the teaching style for a number. I mean, I I was like, I was hoping you were going to say that, and you did, <laughs> um, because you know I see, for instance, I see I see this new trend, relatively new. For example, I, I'm starting to see like, for instance, Sony. Sony's starting to like do these like sponsored workshops where they're working with one of their people on whether it's an artisan or a group of alpha members alpha collective members 
to do these workshops and they open it up to people. I don't know if those people have to pay. Maybe they do, but like it, it to me that because the, these are, you know, destination workshops, I feel like that um, dilutes the, the, that particular space one too, because they're, they're using people who mm-hmm. don't, who, who are, I think just mostly just good photographers with huge followings, not necessarily to your point, good educators. And then two, um, you're, you, uh, as far as like, that's the first thing I've, I've only, well, I'll, I'll go on this in a second, but like, I, you and I just talked about this before we were, we were kind of commenting on people on other photographers, YouTube, the, their teaching styles and how they present themselves. I think that's a, a really important thing. And if, for instance, you, me, whoever else offers, wants to offer photography workshops, we should already understand that. Like I put out regularly videos as do you showing the kind of person I am, the kind of the way I teach, partly mm-hmm. because I want that to somehow make a, the, the, a person to make a connection that if and when I have a workshop to offer, they could, they like, oh yeah, to that point, like uh, last every uh, twice a year, I, I to my newsletter I send kind of what's called a product steering survey. It's another gross term. That's what I call it um, because I want to know what it is that my audience on my newsletter wants to learn. And then there's one question, a gated question that I ask: Are you interested in attending a premium workshop with me? If you say no, it skips through. It sk- skips all the questions about that. And if you say yes, it, it puts you through the series of questions, and one of which is: Why do you want to attend a, a workshop with me? And the two most popular answers, the, the top two, one is um, they, they specifically want to um, learn from me, which I think to your point, Nick kind of goes to like, if you put, if they can identify that you are a person that gels with them, um, that, that'll increase the likelihood of them being happy. But then the second thing is they also want, um, they want access. They want, they don't know where to go. And so they will turn to you as a guide. And I think, Nick, that's another thing where you know you uh, we i kind of alluded to this about you know photographers who do workshops who have never really scouted a location Mm -hmm. you know you are all over the place and so can you talk a little bit about that like what it is like when you go out shooting for yourself are you do you think about like i can turn this into a part of a workshop sometimes i mean honestly most of the time when i go out to shoot by myself I'm just there to enjoy shooting by myself because I'm leading so many workshops these days. This is another, you know, thing that people don't talk about very much, but people that are leading, you know, just tons and tons of workshops all the time, they never get to go shoot and just have fun anymore. Sure. And that, and that's how I've been feeling a little bit this last year is like when I do finally do go out and I, I shoot and I'm not making a video or doing anything like that, it's, it's like, oh, this is what I used to do all the time. This is kind of nice, you know, this is what everybody gets to do. Um, But, you know, one of the things that, uh, another thing is that if I do the same workshops every year, one every year, you know, on clockwork, well, in November, I lead my Oregon coast and put in the spring, I lead my Palouse tours. The thing is you get stuck in a rut and I'm not, I'm not self-employed because I want to be in a rut. I'm self-employed because I'm like chasing this dream of like having this dream life, you know, uh, otherwise I would just work for the man and and get my 401k and, you know, have my health insurance. Um, if I wanted safe, that's what I would do. But I've elected to just like, you know, shoot for the stars and see how cool of a life I can drum up for myself. And where was I going with that? <laughs> 
<laughs> don't you love brain farts? Oh, I was yeah. going. I was going to say something important. Um, what was it? Help me out here. Because uh, you were talking about like you're always going on your workshops. And yes, yes. Oh, yes. Getting stuck in a rut. So if you do the same workshops over and over every year, you get stuck in a rut. So one of the things that I've been trying really hard to do is to um, when I do lead workshops in areas that I don't have as much local knowledge of, I'm teaming up with local photographers from there. So, for example, I just got done teaching my Iceland winter adventure workshop, which was both an adventure and very wintry, um, with Thor, who is a native Icelandic photographer and a really not only a really good photographer, but he's a really good workshop instructor because he knows his stuff. He knows the locations like nobody else I've ever seen. And he has all of this local knowledge and local connections. And he's on a first name basis with everybody in every hotel. And like that amount of local knowledge is a large part of the value of a workshop. That's why people are going on a workshop is because they want to be guided. They want to have all that local knowledge. They want all the decisions to be made to be good ones based on local knowledge. That's where a lot of the value is. And people that are leading workshops without that local knowledge are really robbing the participants of a lot of the value. So that's kind of one of the things that I've started doing is uh, teaming up with people that have that local knowledge that I couldn't acquire even if I did live there for years and years. So like, you know, when I go to Ireland, I have um, kind of a, a small group of local photographers that help me with those local knowledge decisions. Same in Iceland. Um, I'm getting ready to go to the Faroe Islands and I'm going with Mass Peter Iverson, who's been there like 15, 20 times. He speaks the language, like stuff like that. You can you cannot put enough value on. And that is a big part of where the value of a workshop comes in. And so we are kind of talking about how some people are leading workshops to places they haven't even been yet. And that is nearly like a scam. You know, it's there's so many people out there that are trying so hard to make ends meet that they're not really they don't care so much about the the experience of the participant. They're they're just trying to make a buck. And that's one of the things that people really have to be careful of when they're vetting these workshop instructors. Agreed. Uh, another component to that. So um, I don't know. Have you ever uh, have you ever been have you ever paid to attend a photo workshop? I never have. And that, and it's kind of an interesting thing because I, I thought about it in the beginning, like I was really tempted to go on them. And then once I knew that I was going to start leading workshops of my own, I, it suddenly felt weird because I didn't want to feel like I was, you know, I was stealing inside knowledge or anything, which put me in the position where I had to learn as I go. And I would like to apologize to my first five workshop participants, first five workshop participant groups, because, you know, my workshops were not the best when I first started, but I had to learn from my own mistakes. And because my intention was good and because I was trying as hard as I could based on my limited amount of experience I had at the time, um, at least, you know, it, it made it better because my intention was good and I was trying really hard. Totally. Uh, there's, Yeah. Especially if you're up front. I think um, a lot of people, if they know what they're getting into up front, um, I know. So like I've, I've led workshops, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, my buddy Colby Brown, he, he founded a company called The Giving Lens. And I, I've led several workshops there uh, where the, the, the premise is they partner with an NGO in a developing country or a third world country. And um, part of the experience is the photography workshop. And part of it is also working with hands on with the NGO. And when they 
do when they go to a new location. For instance, Cuba. I was um, the very first time they went to Cuba. I, that was a. It's a different type of workshop. It's a scouting workshop, which is priced differently. Expectations yep. are different. Everyone understands what they're getting into. So I think if you're transparent, that's one thing. The problem that I find is when it it, it feels like all you're doing is paying for the instructor to go on a trip. And so I've up to this point, I've only um, paid for one workshop because I thought it would be a, uh, I, I felt like I was reaching a certain impasse with my photography and, I, and it was with a photographer who I greatly admired, who, you know, was very introspective and, and kind of, you know, a, a, I would say a, a photographer's photographer. And I, and he was leading a very small workshop and very expensive and, Listen, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to go into the details, but I will say just to to make a point is like at the end I felt very um unfulfilled. I mm-hmm. felt like all I did was I paid for a trip for someone else. Um, you know, and yes, uh, accommodations were were handled and food was taken care of, which in some workshops, you know, that's the case. Um I go back and forth on that like do you want to um do I want to make it more economical for the attendees and have them choose how they want to do things or do I want to make it more of a premium thing charge more but um I, I think that 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 really is for me the the my biggest fear Nick is an attendee walking away feeling like you know what not if they didn't get good photos for it because they their camera malfunction or they're just for the, the despite your best intentions they're just not a strong photographer that's one thing but if they walk away and they're like i just didn't have a good time or i just don't yeah. feel like i got my money's mm-hmm. worth to me there's nothing more terrifying I, I would bend over backwards and i just felt like in this situation a lot it, this workshop was a lot like i'm sure he got some great photos there was a lot of individual time um and again going back to your instagram uh stories and I told you this before we started recording. The thing I really like about uh, about you is, and you share these photos. You share photos of your attendees. You're, you know, yes, you're out there, and you, you'll take a photo, and you you do part of the reason why you do that is to show the attendees this is how I'm composing and stuff. And mm-hmm. but I do feel like there are some workshop leaders who they use it as a funding. This is I'm being funded to go create new photos. Um, I've heard stories of workshop leaders just leaving their group, going to a different location. They didn't want to bring the attendees to this other, this, you know, they're in the same general vicinity, but they go off to this other composition area. Um, so, so what are your thoughts there in terms, I'd love to get your thoughts in terms of what you see as your obligation. You kind of touched on it, but to, to your attendees. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, and it's interesting. It's kind of a challenge because everybody learns in a different way. Some, and that's one of the talks that I always have at the beginning of a workshop is like, you know, everybody in this group is at a different stage in their photography. Everybody's kind of looking for something different. So the very first day, I we generally have kind of a meet and greet. And I'm like, okay, so what are you hoping to get away from this workshop? And right then, you know, it becomes clear whether this person is a very hands-on, like, I want you to hold my hand, Nick, as I take photos, or it's like, you know, just take me there, dump, dump me off and teach me some post-processing. And there's that full gamut. And you can really tell the, the, the workshop instructors that are really interested in how people are doing and the people that are just kind of funding the trip by, you know, how soon do they get their camera out? And 
are they actually around and sharing their compositions with people? Like if you have a workshop instructor that's off in a corner taking photos and then they tear down and then they go check on people, but they're not sharing what they're doing at the moment of capture, that, that you're not going to learn nearly as much from that. One of the things that I do is I, I will kind of like, you know, walk around and try to find the best compositions I can. But once I find a composition I really like, I'm like, hey, guys, come here, come here, come check this out. Like, so what I'm thinking here is I'm, you know, I'm using this ice, like blah, 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 blah. And I, I you know, lift the veil on what it is that I'm doing. So everybody sees the photo that I'm taking that way. It's never a surprise when they, when we're sharing images later on the trip, like, well, where'd you take that one, Nick? It's never like that because I'm having people literally like, if they like my composition, I'm letting them take it. Or like, especially when the light is getting good, that's when I wanted them to get the photos. I don't necessarily care about me getting the photos. The quality of their photos matters far more. Because, and this is another thing where if you're, if you're leading workshops in areas that you're very knowledgeable of, and you've been to a bunch of times, like when I go to the Oregon coast, there's a lot of times where I don't, I'm not even inspired to take the camera out because I've already shot that in better light anyway. And, and when you get photographers that don't have, you know, that, that deep knowledge and that deep portfolio of the area, they, they tend to be more, um, obsessed with their own photos and they're not nearly as helpful as somebody that's shot that area a million times and in a million different light conditions. Uh, that's often the workshop instructor that is going to be more helpful anyways, because they, they could care less whether they get the photo. All they care about is helping you through it. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I spent a lot of time trying to not only teach in the way of like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's my settings. Here's why I'm doing this. Um, but also going around and trying to check on people and and make sure that, you know, first of all, their settings make sense and, and just help them through that that process. Sometimes, like, even when they're not, like, looking for that direct input from me, a lot of times I will just yell out loud my thoughts. Like, okay, guys, so the reason I'm doing this and you guys can just ignore me if you don't care, but I'm doing this, like, I'm going to focus stack this and I'm also going to do a foot, a focal length blend. Anybody want to learn how to do a focal length? And a lot of times people are just like, shut up, Nick. Like, <laughs> you are talking, <laughs> you're, you're talking way too much, but then there's always like that one or two, those one or two people that are actually interested in that stuff. And they come over and they learn it from me and blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of how my workshops go. So do you typically find, speaking of the, the post-processing side of things, you, do you, are your attendees, do they expect or, or do they want to have components that involve where rather than going out, you know, or maybe you just use the, the, the time when it's, it's crappy light to, um, to do this workshop, uh, the post-processing stuff? Well, so a lot of times like shooting always takes precedent over the post-processing stuff. And the reason, the reason for that is because a lot of times I can hit them with all of this post-processing knowledge and they're going to be so sleep deprived that they're not absorbing it anyway, you know, because like I'm a lot of times I'm teaching a more advanced post-processing stuff where I'm getting deep into luminosity mass and, and uh, a lot of my participants really want to learn that stuff because I'm kind of I've kind of developed a you know a name as far as like Nick the advanced post processing guy. So a lot of people are really interested in that, but 
it always feels like seldom do we get enough opportunity for the post-processing stuff. That's probably the most common critique is that there just wasn't time to do post-processing, but that's a good problem because that means we were out shooting. Um, so one of the things that I do for my workshop participants, and I know some of the other reputable workshop leaders do this as well, is that in addition to the workshop, the people get some post-processing videos afterwards and be like, hey, instead of me rambling at you when you're sleep deprived, here's some videos and you can actually save these and watch them at your leisure. Um, one of the things I'll do is I'll do some photo walkthrough edits, like where I just edit the photos from the trip and then post them into the Facebook group of the group. And that way people are seeing uh, the photos that are very similar to what they took processed and and it works out pretty well because they can actually absorb the information rather than just have it rammed down their throat when they're sleep deprived. Absolutely. And uh, you touched on a, my next question, which I appreciate is, you know, I, I again, going back to this uh, previous workshop that I attended where I kind of left sour, that was another thing that was kind of disappointing was that once that workshop was over, it was over, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. done. And uh, aside from, I think maybe a survey, uh, there was no, it was kind of completely, you know, excommunicado. And it was disappointing, partly because I conducted workshops and I conduct workshops. So I kind of know what I, what I offer. And so to see that kind of when you juxtapose the two, especially, you know, I didn't, especially at the price point, like exactly, uh, I'm, I'm paying way more for a little bit less. That's kind exactly. of a bummer. It was yeah. a bummer, you know, like I, I like to hear that, you know, you got your, your private Facebook groups for the, the attendees. Mm -hmm. And that's another point in terms of uh, researching the instructor is if the person has, you know, a, a pedigree in creating these kind of tutorials, if, if the workshop instructor, you know, I do think that it's all about kind of it's because it, it's a service based economy at this point with with workshops. It's it's, it's all about the services, about the 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 product um, is is one thing, but if you can provide the the attendees with the feeling like they got way more than what they spent, mm -hmm. you know, and so to your point, like even if it is, I th that's a great idea. You know, you just take some of the photos that you you took on the trip and you just do a screencast and you you provide that information to them, and you also let's say you have your luminosity luminosity mask course, you can provide it to them so that they can learn at their own pace. I think that those are things that um, really can set one workshop attendee. You know, it, we can say, let's say the Palouse, for example, same location, and yes, two instructors can teach the same uh, in the field stuff. But to the value add, if there's one instructor who maybe doesn't really have a uh, doesn't know how to teach post processing very well, maybe isn't very strong in the post processing as much. Maybe they they are really mm -hmm. limited to Lightroom, whereas you're kind of a Photoshop maven. Um, that I think really gives you a leg up uh, and it gives the attendee like, man, I'm getting all this stuff on top of already going to an amazing location and hanging out with really chill people. So, yeah, yeah I mean, As, especially if you have the, the participant that is really interested in that, because that's the thing about workshops and workshop leaders is that there's no perfect one. You know, if you are the type of photographer that really loves to just get it right in camera and do very light post-processing afterwards, my workflow might just annoy the crap of you out of you because I'm going to be, you know, you need to you need expose for your highlights and and don't use grad filters because I'm one of those guys that preaches against graduated filters. That's a whole different topic. Ooh, I want at some point I want to hear about this. <laughs> but um, you know, but there, but 
for that person, they would be better off going on a workshop with somebody that uses a similar workflow to what they're interested in. You know, there's, there's definitely merits to being taken out of your comfort zone and to learn something new. But if you're not after learning something new, you just want to fine hone what you already do. You need to find a workshop leader that is going to teach you that. And you need to make sure that they're, you know, they're what they're going to be teaching is jiving with what you want to learn because there's nothing worse than being pulled in a direction that is not what you're even interested in. You know, you're a serious landscape photographer and then you go on some kind of workshop where they're, you know, post-processing a bunch of cityscapes or something. It, you, you want to be uh, stretched in the area that you want to grow in. Yeah, a absolutely. And so, I mean, I think that that, that is a perfect, um, place to kind of wrap this up because I, uh, I think we covered in my opinion, everything that, that I consider to be important because this is, this is kind of the, the point of this episode is I, I get quite asked, you know, enough times like Brian, do you offer workshops? And I'm always curious as to what this person's, why they asked me that, uh, again, mm -hmm. is it because they want to learn from me? Is it because they know that I, I, do a lot of stuff in the Pacific Northwest. What is it? And so I, one of the people who I've always admired in terms of how they conduct workshops is you. And uh, from the get-go, that was kind of the topic I was hoping to, to be able to talk with you about. And so, because you've, you, you know, I, I would say that you have an ideal model for how, not just the workshops you offer, how often you, you offer them, the price point and stuff, but just the experience um, that mm -hmm. you not just share with, the attendees, but with the world. And that to me is really important because if anyone's really interested, it doesn't take much for them to learn what kind, what is involved with your workshops. Go to Nick's YouTube page. Um, again, we'll link to that in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. He posts videos from his workshop. Like he mm -hmm. opens the book up. Like not many people want to kind of, sh you know, hike up the skirt and show how they do their things, like showing where they're going with the attendees, talking to the attendees. Um, and that I have always admired about what you do, Nick. So, so I really appreciate you kind of opening up and sharing this stuff so candidly with everyone. And that's really one of the, the beautiful things about YouTube is that uh, I think that one of the reasons that you're seeing so many successful workshop leaders coming from YouTube is that not, not only do they have a following, but they have a following that understands what that person is like unless you're one of the really phony YouTubers <laughs> that yep. we were mentioning earlier. <laughs> we were but, <laughs> but if you're one of the genuine personalities off of YouTube, people already know what you're like. You know, people are not showing up to a Nick Page workshop expecting to have, you know, perfect grammar and, and a clean shaven, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sharp dressed man. They're not looking for that. They're, they're just looking for a real person that, uh, you know, is, is, tries, I don't know, me personally, my whole shtick is that I just try to be real. And the nice part about being real all the time is that you never have to fake it. And it's because to me, that is just way more effort than I'm willing to put in. <laughs> I would rather just be real all the time. And the cool part of it, of it as a workshop instructor is that I, I draw people to me that are kind of like me. And then I turn out and it turns out I get along with everybody and we just go out and we shoot together. I, you know, ram all of my knowledge down their throat and some people learn a lot. Some people learn a little, but I try to make sure that we all enjoy, you know, the time because who wants to spend that much money and not have a good time? That's ridiculous. 
if you're spending, you know, a couple thousand dollars, you should at least, you know, do so with a smile on your face. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, yeah. there is that point, though, that, um, you know, I, I know we were kind of segueing to close, but in terms of the authenticity of the person, you know, uh, so we did talk about, like, go to YouTube and see if the person offers um, content. But I think there is a layer to that in t- as far as being able to determine whether that is the genuine personality. Uh, we talk- So before we started recording, we were talking about this uh, as far as like some people who seem to kind of, there's a switch, when they hit the record mm-hmm. button on their camera, the, the switch turns on and they're like, hey, what's going on? Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and then when you meet them in person, that's happened to me. Um, not, not to me, where, but I, where I've met someone and I'm like, you're not the person I, I thought you'd be. Um, you know, for me, what I've gotten the most consistent thing is like, listen, I, I'm not, I don't have the cleanest mouth when I speak one to one with people. It's just, I'm a native New Yorker and just, I feel like that kind of vernacular is a therapeutic way to express yourself. I only do it in private. And so they're like, wow, you, <laughs> you you're definitely more, you know, I, I, when I do my videos or I do the podcast, we're, we're G rated. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's something that I've gotten. But other than that, I'm with you, man. Like just, it's so much easier to be honest because when you're honest, you don't have to lie. You know, you don't have to, yeah, exactly. you don't have to remember, Oh, who, what was, you know, who, yeah, who which truth did I tell this person? Like right. who wants to live their life that way? Not me, yeah. you know? And that, and especially in today's day and age of, you know, everybody having to be perfect and put their perfect day forward on social media and only tell the good parts and never ter- tell the bad parts. You know, it, to me, it's refreshing to see real people on social media and to see, you know, a, a person to see that, you know, that photographer that you follow doesn't always have a perfect outing or, you know, sometimes they drop their gear just like I do. Or, you know, sometimes they go to this amazing place with this amazing light and they kind of screw it up. Yeah. You know, that stuff I feel is real and it's got value because it's not devaluing all those people that sometimes make mistakes. And, you know, on Instagram, it's so easy to just watch the stories and to see the feed and just feel like, man, everybody has a perfect life and mine sucks. <laughs> or, or sometimes mine is less than amazing. And you know what? That's okay because that's, guess what? That's reality. That's how everybody is. Just some people like to pretend like it's better than it is. So, Oh, man, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a video I want to link to with you and Thomas Heaton. Uh, you were at Arches, and mm-hmm. I remember, you know... Well, Thomas Heaton, also just another person everyone should be following on YouTube. Um, he doesn't just jump into editing a photo. He'll he'll spend a significant amount of time, like almost like alarmingly so, just kind of talking to the camera um, about yeah. his mindset. And, you know, with you and him, there was one point where you were shooting some arch, um, maybe window arch, and, and, you know, it was like if it were someone else they might have either not created that video altogether or you know would have made it so that everything was amazing looking but you were i I remember it being like well the conditions weren't very good or time of day Mm -hmm. wasn't good the light wasn't very good um but it's so refreshing to see that because especially in the southwest like it's such a crapshoot like you know where this just happened to you when you were on the coast with your workshop the weather was was garbage yeah, I led an Oregon Coast workshop, and we didn't have a cloud for a week. <laughs> I remember. I'm pretty sure that's got to be a record because 
it's the Oregon coast, man. There, especially in the fall, there should you you can almost always promise rain at least one day, and we only had one day on a on an eight day workshop where we had clouds. So as a workshop leader, I was you know in my hotel room chewing on my fingernails like crap. What are we gonna shoot? Oh, we're gonna do astrophotography this week, guys, and and that's what we did. Everybody went home with good photos. Nobody was severely let down, which is my biggest, you know, fear, just like we were talking about. But, you know, kind of touching on the, you know, not always getting perfect light thing is uh, one of the things that I feel is important for me to feel uh, fulfilled and, and, and um, challenged as a photographer is to never fake light. Because, you know, one of the most rewarding fun things for me is to try to be at the right place at the right time or at least to be at a good place during good conditions and to always be chasing those light conditions and if i was to start dropping in skies that didn't actually happen for me i'm not saying that it's wrong creatively but for me it would rob me of more than half of the fun which is chasing light I, I love trying to be at the right place at the right time. And if I was dropping skies, it would take all the fun away from that. So I try to keep it real in that sense. I'm not afraid of post-processing the crap out of my photos and really milking out, you know, the most of a file. But I, I want it to be the, the real conditions and not try to fake it. Because, you know, just from a, a self-fulfillment thing, it's more fun to chase light than it is to drop in skies and just pretend that it happened, you know. I agree. But that I but I also digress. So. No, I, I think, I, I think, well, I think it's, you know, there is, there is an, a place for that. Um, I remember uh, on one of the workshops I was on, we were the first couple of days, it was just, it was, I mean, we were just coming up, you know, short with the weather. One of the attendees was like, well, can you show us, uh, can you teach us how to comp a sky in? And it, it was one of those things where it's like, I can, and I will I'll happily. Um, but just to your points, you don't want to use that as a crutch. Um, I have tutorials. I have an entire product and on one product, you know, to that's all about replacing skies because that's something that I get asked a lot. However, that's in the vein of just like um, standalone knowledge. When mm -hmm. it comes to workshops or just kind of the pursuit of photography, I'm I'm 100 with you. You know, if I didn't if I didn't want to have to deal with that, I would just buy the photo off of stock. I would license a photo and just edited how I wanted, you know, but the, the point is you want to go out and create your own photo warts and all. Um, so, so the fact that again, you're so transparent about these things. I love it to me. It's, I love transparency. I love knowing when I'm talking to person, they're the real McCoy and they're kind of like a, a photographer's photographer. They can talk the talk. They can also walk the walk. So with that, Nick, um, first of all, thank you so much for such a spirited conversation about a topic I, I suspect a lot of people will a really a lot of people are interested in to mm -hmm. that end you obviously offer workshops you also have your courses um if someone were to want to learn more about that where would they go uh so my website is nickpagephotography.com no idea where i got the name for it just a blazing moment of inspiration <laughs> um yeah you can follow me on instagram nickpagephotography do a search for Nick Page on YouTube. You'll find me there. And that's probably the most entertaining place to find me because you can, you know, see all the different things that I do. That's pretty much it. You can find my podcast, which is the Landscape Photography Podcast. Again, blazing moment of inspiration. No idea where I came up with that name. <laughs> that's, that's where you can find me. 
Awesome. And uh, just to recap, I mean, all of these links will be uh, at the show notes for this episode at nonamephotoshow.com. Uh, and for me, I'm at matias.com, which nonamephotoshow.com redirects to, so you don't have to do anything there. And uh, I'm at Brian Matias pretty much everywhere. So, uh, Nick, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I've been a listener of the show since the beginning. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks, dude. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Name Photo Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com and be sure to subscribe in whichever app you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss a beat. Let's do this again next time.